0: Shrink wrap radio number 812. Ron Alexander, PhD, on the mindful way to unlock your creative self. And now it's time for Dr. Dave and Shrink
1: wrap radio. Wrap Radio, all the psychology you need to know and just enough to make it dangerous. It's all in your head. And now here's your host, Dr. Dave.
0: My return guest today is Ronald A. Alexander, Ph.D. He's the author of the 2022 book, Core Creativity the mindful way to unlock your creative self. He's also a long-time friend and traveling companion. Now, here's the interview. Dr. Ron Alexander, welcome back to Shrink Wrap Radio. Happy to be here again. Good to yeah, see you. Yeah, yeah, I say welcome back because it's actually we have to go back to 2009. When we spoke uh, on episode number 222 about your book, Wise Mind, Open Mind. Uh, so it's been a while. Now we're going to be talking about your new book, Core Creativity, The Mindful Way to Unlock Your Creative Self. So congratulations on this new book. Which oh, I think, thank you. Yeah, I think it comes out later this week, right? Oh, it's already out. It oh, came it out is out. 21st. Yeah. Pardon? Yeah, good, good. June 21st. Well, congratulations on that. And uh, even though it's been kind of a long time between the first book and the second book, I know that you've been super busy in the intervening time with an active psychotherapy and coaching practice, along with workshops all over the world, a few of which I had the privilege of assisting you with and And we had good times in, in yeah. various countries and it's, and uh, your book is based a lot on mindfulness, and it's amazing how widespread the practice of mindfulness has become. Uh, I think you might be one of the first people in the United States, one of the first practitioners to uh, to start using the term mindfulness.
1: Yeah, that's true, David. When I finished um, studying with you and Eleanor Criswell and Stanley Krippner at Sonoma State University, I enrolled in um, what was the Humanistic Psychology Institute for my doctorate, and now it's the Seybrook Institute. And then I came south um, to study um, various forms of yoga in Los Angeles. And I taught the very first course at U, the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA in 1976 with three other physicians.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And it was titled um, Heal the Healer, Mindfulness, Zen, and the Art of Burnout. And we took over 250 physicians up to Idlewild for um, a five-day Uh, retreat. And I was already teaching at UCLA uh, mindfulness. And at that time in history, it actually took us two years to get through all of the uh, departmental agencies, because the word mindfulness and its Buddhist connection was somewhat heretical.
0: Oh, yeah. I can believe it. So after like two years of
1: writing and rewriting, the the course was finally approved. And then I was at UCLA for like 30 to 40 years in the extension division.
0: Wow. Wow. So um, I also know that you've uh, worked for years as a consultant, a coach, and advisor to people in major entertainment media. And so I, I think that's important for people to know because uh, you have great credentials for writing about creativity because you've been working with creativity people a long time.
1: Yeah, I got licensed um, in 1976 uh, to practice psychotherapy. And I started the Center for Health and Healing at the Cedar sinai Medical Office Towers on West Third Street, and in my very first month, I had some, um, I was teaching some classes on mindfulness in the evening, and my very first month, I had a variety of uh, wives and girlfriends come to the class, and so they started sending their boyfriends and husbands who were all in the entertainment industry, musicians, filmmakers, writers, directors, Uh, executives at various studios like Disney, Universal, Telemundo. Um, And so I just hit the deck running and found that most of my practice back then, uh, at least 50% of it, were people in the film, television, and music industries. And then about four or five years uh, later, when you started talking to me about computers, I started um consulting to to Apple, Sun Microsystems and some other uh, computer companies.
0: Yeah, you and I go back about 50 years, right? So Yeah. We'll put that on the table. And you were uh you mentioned Third Street and so on. I think that you were in uh in the L.A. area, and yeah. uh, and so you had easy access to Hollywood in terms of travel and so on, and and so you were in the midst of, and so many people come to Los Angeles with starry eyes, you know, hoping in one way to break into the media, uh, but you've always been a, a a innovator and somebody who could move into new areas with with a lot of confidence. And you were that way when you first came to uh, Sonoma State University, and <laughs> right. you, you were already a, a mover and shaker, even though you were enrolled in our graduate program. Well, you you asked me in a very complimentary
1: way. You were, you were teaching this wonderful course on applied psychotherapy techniques in the master's program. Yeah. And a couple of weeks into it, you said, uh, "Why don't you co-teach it with me?" <laughs> I was assisting
0: you. Uh huh. That's
1: a graduate.
0: Oh, good. I I didn't remember that. (laughs) It's going back so far, but uh, uh, but then the wheel turns and and uh, many years later I'm assisting you uh, in in your workshops in various places. Uh, So why a book on creativity now? Is there something about the now that is important?
1: Yeah, I think. That now is essential because particularly in the last five years with people struggling through the pandemic, oh, yeah. changes, the political divides in the economy and throughout the entire world, the changes um, in people's economic uh, conditions, the large scale retiring of so many of us boomers, um, leaving the work. Force, but yet not quite feeling that they're ready to hang it up and be at the end of their road, and so um, in assessing what people need, as I was talking about ten years ago, around the time of my first book with another fellow Esalen graduate and uh, post-humanistic psychology student, Ken Dykewol. Yeah. And Ken was – he's a um, a demographer and a gerontologist um, and a consultant to uh, the aging industry. And he was telling me that his prediction was that within the next five to ten years that most of the boomers were going to really be interested in recreating themselves. And I started to capture that word and go, hmm, recreate. It's connected to creativity that um, the boomers are going to be really interested in reinventing, reengineering themselves and their lives, perhaps not uh, being like the seniors of uh, history prior uh, to our generation where people would go to retirement communities or just go and golf, that mm-hmm. the boomers, since we were so um, enlivened um, in civil rights and the Vietnam War and uh, the Renaissance of the 60s and 70s, that the boomer generation was going to be really interested in creativity. So then as I started doing research and I was um, consulting with a lot of my clients that I coach in Silicon Valley, they were telling me that there's a whole new multi-generations from 18 years old all the way up to people in their 70s who are extremely interested in in two things. One is how to be more creative. And then the second thing, which kind of I was very surprised uh, with, was the whole concept of microdosing. And microdosing small elements of um, psychedelics.
0: So you were just now, you brought up a microdosing, which I thought was a relatively recent thing, the microdosing of psychedelics. And... Um, and I've heard that that's big in Silicon Valley, uh, and I've been very interested in the whole revolution, if you will, the re-revolution, the rebirth of interest and research in psychedelics. And I've been following that closely with lots of interviews on that topic. Um, and and you mentioned psychedelics uh, in your book of uh, and. Let's talk about psychedelics and creativity. Is there some kind of, uh, there's got to be some kind of interface there?
1: Yes. Um, The line between Silicon Valley and creativity and microdosing was very interesting because one of the guest lecturers that you had 50 years ago (laughs) on a regular basis at Sonoma State was Dr. James Fadiman. Was an undergraduate at Harvard University. Right. And he's known to be the grandfather of psychedelics. Uh, I mean, grandfather of microdosing. Yes, yes. And he did psychedelic research with uh, Leary Alpert and Metzner um, when he was an undergraduate at Harvard. And then he met up with uh, Richard Alpert, who became Ramdas in, in Europe uh, one summer. And then when he went to do his. Uh, graduate studies at Stanford in psychology, he was involved in, there was um, a variety of uh, psychedelic studies uh, at Stanford University.
0: Yeah, he got in on the legal LSD before it got, uh, before it got totally uh, smeared and illegal. And uh, so he got to experience LSD without the fear of the police breaking the door down.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And so the more that I started to talk to um, a lot of my millennial uh, clients, um, both in the dot-com business and young musicians, they started coming in and telling me, uh, is it okay if I come to my session um, if I'm microdosing psilocybin? And so uh, at first I said – Sure, you know it's microdosing. Not like you're going to be on a trip, right? And my agent for this book on creativity, she said, um, "Well, I really think you should have a few pages or a small section on microdosing and creativity, because she's up in the um, the Bay Area, and she says it's just the buzz of Silicon Valley."
0: Yeah.
1: Well, one thing led to another, and I called up James Fadiman. And he remembered me fondly and we started Good.
0: talking. Yeah.
1: Started submitting my uh section to him and he started cleaning it up and correcting it. Oh nice. Because uh, my editor had wanted all these very, very uh alarming um messages about if you take psychedelics. You could be schizophrenic or go psychotic. Mm, mm. He jumped in. And he said, "Oh no, Ron, Ron, Ron! Ron. That's <laughs> high dose psychedelics. We're talking about micro amounts. Yeah, like if if you think of an aspirin, we're talking. We're not even talking about a baby aspirin. We're talking about a little piece of a baby aspirin. And uh, the the connection to uh, creativity is that people who are interested in microdosing and or taking any form of modern-day psychedelics, whether it's ayahuasca, psilocybin, LSD, DMT, all are very, very interested in not only the mind-body healing process, but stimulating their creativity. Nine out of ten people that I interview in my office who come in and tell me that they're microdosing. Half of them are doing it to treat some form of depressive disorder or anxiety disorder. And the almost all of them say that they're microdosing to enhance their creativity, to re engineer, to reimagine how they do their job and or to move from where they currently are into something that they've yet to envision.
0: Well, this kind of relates to the uh to the topic of blocks to creativity, and presumably the microdosing is somehow getting them past whatever blocks. Maybe you can talk a bit about the blocks to creativity that people struggle with. Well,
1: one of the major blocks that people have in in my book called Creativity, I give an example that I was observing um, a family, and there was a two- or three-year-old toddler uh, walking around the treatment room while I was counseling the mother and father. And he kept talking on um, an imaginary cell phone. Yeah, And the mother kept saying, "Uh, Jimmy, put that down. Put that away. Stop that. There's no one listening to you. So after about 15 or 20 minutes, I found a very respectful way to turn to the mom and to say, you know, I have a, a different creative approach to uh, communicate to Jimmy. How, how would you feel if I went and did it? And over time it led to him feeling and becoming more creative and in using his imagination. And so that was the buy in there. I got a yes from him.
0: <laughs> and well, so I then. picked
1: up my imaginary cell phone and I, and I went ring, 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 ring. Yeah. Oh, hello, Jimmy. And I had this whole conversation with Jimmy. Sure. Kids love that. Yeah, they that's great. That. And so, one of the first blocks to creativity is to identify what are the messages that your parents embedded into you that you interjected in about that you're not a creative type. Yeah. That creatives are just singers musicians, painters, sculptors, filmmakers. And to identify those negative messages and then to re-embed and re-implant more positive, creative messages that we're all creative. Yeah. You're creative. I've watched you over the course of your career as a young man and a young professor. You are involved in the study of hypnosis and I think you even published a paper when you were in graduate school, correct? Yeah. 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 And then throughout your career at Sonoma State, when computers came um, on board, I remember you calling me and telling me, um, this is the future, Ron. You, you need to get <laughs> a, an Apple computer or <laughs> you're going to get left behind. And then when you and I had a talk in Mallorca about whether you should take the golden handshake, Yes. Other, um, you said well there's a thing called
0: podcasting and h- how many hundreds of podcasts later are we now with you well you're number eight hundred and twelve here right. this time but there are about three hundred others that I did under wise counsel so it's uh, it's over a thousand at this point yeah and so- and and there are now a million and a half podcasts out there. So I, I definitely got in on the ground floor of podcasting. And that's
1: due to your creativity. You see, you you are always reinventing. You're always imagining, well, hey, I've been really successful at this. And you're also someone that was interested in Jungian psychology yeah. very, very early on
0: yeah. in your
1: career in my career. Um, and Jung – is one of the principal um, theorists that I read up extensively, along in also Maslow, and a guy named Dean Simonton who's up at um, um, University of California in Davis, and he's written a couple of books on creativity. And the the key is in what I learned from him, and I experienced from you directly in how you always reinvent your life, which means that you bring online your left prefrontal cortex, um, and that you learn to link the left, which is executive and the right, which is imaginative and creative, to create and invent a future that has yet to be invented. In podcasting, you get in on the ground floor. And so it's really important to impart people. That, like, for example, Dean Simonton says in one of his early books that he wrote in the seventies. Um, I interviewed him early on, and he said that the old myth was that by the time we turn fifty, that we begin the long, uh, slow fade to black.
0: The glow, the glide path down. <laughs> the glide path down, and that
1: the mid-insula, which is responsible for the creation of gray matter in the brain, thinking, feeling, memory, also starts to go down. Now, in my book, I did a lot of research on uh, researchers who researched mindfulness, and I also found some that researched mindfulness and creativity. And what we found is that there were researchers like Sarah Lazar, at the Harvard Mind-Brain Institute and University, um, not the University, uh, Massachusetts, um, MIT, that as you age and if you practice mindfulness and or some form of mind-brain development like luminosity or you learn to play the piano as you age or take, uh, take up tennis, that you stimulate hundreds of millions of new neurons each and every time over a 20-minute period. And that's, like, extraordinary. That's, like, fantastic news for all of us that there doesn't have to be. And Simonton, he found this out in in 1975 or 76 when his first book came out, that as creatives age, they don't decline, that many of the world's creative Actually, increase the arc of their creativity over time, which is fantastic news for all of us.
0: I wonder if the uh, if the domain of creativity changes, maybe as one gets older. For example, maybe they get maybe they don't start in big new inventions, but they might become more creative in their relationships or how they're viewing themselves.
1: Yeah, that's a really uh, important point that you don't have to invent something and you don't have to create a product to be creative. You can be creative with how you interact in your primary relationship or how you interact with, if you're involved in the corporate or university world, how you interact with your peers, From a creative perspective, Um, many of the creatives I studied said that not only do they uh, work at fostering, like, for example, Mick Fleetwood of Fleetwood Mac, he's an extraordinary creative drummer. But one of the things that um, people don't see up close is that's a band that he started first as a blues band in the U.K., as a teenager. And there's been many, many incarnations of Fleetwood Mac going back to the days of Peter Green, Jeremy Spencer. And then when they both departed for certain reasons, Mick went into a studio um, in the valley here, and he sat on on the couch, and he picked up in those little cassette tape. And it was two musicians in the other room in the studio named Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham, and it was their demo tape. So he plugged it in, being creative. He was looking for new musicians, and he listens, and he realizes this, this guy can play lead guitar. He's extraordinary. So at first he focuses just on recruiting um, Lindsey Buckingham, Lindsay Buckingham was living with Stevie Nicks, and it was Buckingham Nicks. And so Lindsay went back to Mick and said, sure, uh, I'd love to join your band, but my girlfriend is also an incredible singer-songwriter. She has to come, too. And so then Mick tried the two of them out together, and thus became Fleetwood Mac, and they made their first record, Rumors, which, you know, multi uh million-dollar platinum and gold uh, record. And then over the course of the history of Fleetwood Mac, he's always bringing in new talent, reinventing, finding ways to get people creatively to pull members of the band together when they're having conflict and getting people to work things out. So you can also be a creative as a communicator.
0: One of the things that impresses me as you're talking about this is um, that you cast a very wide net with your interests in so many different areas so that you're somebody who does what you're attributing to him, but I think you do it in your approach to life to be able to talk so fluently about this music. And I remember in the workshops that we would do together, one of the things I really appreciated was you would bring in music as a supplement during quiet time, during meditations and so on. and There would be this background of, of, uh, of amazing music, interesting selections. Um, now, I just finished listening to an audio book that I think you would really enjoy. If you don't have time to listen to the audio book, you could read the real book. There's probably a book that goes with it. By Dave Grohl, who I oh, didn't sure. I didn't know who he was, but a very big in the whole punk thing, I think, or yeah. hard rock.
1: He was the drummer in Nirvana.
0: Yeah, yeah, and so he went through all sorts of evolutions, such as you're talking about, and was somebody who kept looking to defy and and change and grow.
1: Yes. Uh-huh. He's a great example because here he was, this extraordinary drummer for Nirvana with Kurt Cobain
0: yeah,
1: as the lead singer um, and the lead guitarist. And then when Kurt Cobain dies, Dave Groh comes out behind the drum set and masters the lead guitar and invents this band, uh, this entire new band called the Foo Fighters Yeah, <laughs> and just were inducted into the Hall of Fame so there's an example of creativity and what I call creative activity creativity and action mm-hmm. where you put a loss and turn it around and reinvent it into a game so that when there's loss or when there's pain from a Buddhist perspective enormous pain and suffering that we we all experience uh, in our lives. If you focus exclusively on what has been lost, you miss the creative opportunity of sitting with the pain. And for example, in India, the most beautiful flower, whenever I would go to various uh, sacred gardens in India, they would ask me if I wanted to uh, see the most beautiful flowers of all India. And I'd say, uh, what is it? And they'd say the white lotus. And so I would go, and there would be, if it was in the evening, you would just see the uh, flower petals all closed up in just mud. And then in the morning, if you come back early in the morning, the uh, buds open up out of the mud in these beautiful white uh, lotus flowers. And what that means is that from a union psychological perspective, is if we mine down into our mud, our pain, our sorrow, our loss, into the shadow self, we can harness that energy and put it to a creative usefulness.
0: Yeah, beautiful.
1: And in the book, Core Creativity, you know, I call that first stage of harvesting uh, the state of absorbing mind, where you need to absorb things Go to a museum, read books on creativity, read books like um, on photography, or Yoko Ono's book called Yes. It's a gigantic uh, picture book um, with all sorts of wonderful examples of uh, creativity in it. Go to museums, go to concerts, um, immerse yourself so that you can absorb into your being as much creative juice that's out there in the zeitgeist and then stir it around in a wonderful soup, and then you never know what's going to come out next. And as you said, that's what I've been doing with my career my whole life.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. That
1: is. Allowing myself to be slotted in any one particular role. I first became interested in doing psychotherapy, and then about four years later, a guy walks into my office and says, would you like to go uh, hear a talk by... uh, a guy, he calls himself a coach of um, peak performance and human potential. And he's speaking at the Bonaventure uh, Hotel in Los Angeles. And he's bringing along um, the district manager that runs his, a Southern California office, a young fellow named Tony Robbins. And so I go to this uh, evening talk, and Jim Rowan, the warm-up act is Tony Robbins. Like, Can you imagine a 20-year-old Tony Robbins? I mean, he just lit the room up. And so I turned to my wife at the time and I said, God, I feel really bad for um, like the older guy that's going to be coming on. I mean, you know, <laughs> he's, he's the main act. And this guy comes out, he's in his uh, 60s, all white hair, white beard, and he lights up the room on coaching, uh, how to coach creatively, how there are four seasons in life and that you have to plan. There's always going to be the fall. And then you're always in business and in creativity, you're going to experience the winter where things are dormant. Nothing's really percolating. There's very little, um, pregnancy, so to speak. But then after winter always comes spring and spring is when, you know, the seedlings come up through the earth and nature gets all green again, and then this summer. And he says, you have to plan for all four seasons creatively and from a coaching perspective. But follow, I say, follow the rhythms of your own seasons of creativity.
0: Mm-hmm. What was the white-haired guy, the coach, the big maca? What was his name?
1: Jim Rowan, R-O-H-N. Oh, okay. Yeah, Unfortunately, he just name. died. He was really the very first grandfather of of, uh, coaching.
0: Of coaching, yeah.
1: Yeah. And at that time, so there was Jack Canfield, who was starting to study coaching, Tony Robbins, myself, and then a couple other uh, young guys. Um, But we looked to Jim Rowan at the time because he was really, he was the guy. He was the it guy.
0: Wow. Now, talk to us about core creativity because, you know, there are a lot of books and approaches to creativity, but I think what you've introduced that's different is somehow contained in this idea of core creativity. What are you getting at there?
1: Well, I think you'll understand this um, from your union um, background, union psychology and union psychotherapy is – As I started to work with creatives, I realized there was two forms of creativity. There was creativity, where people oftentimes listened to what other people uh, did or uh, viewed, and then they reassembled it and they added on um, to it. And then there were core creatives, and core creatives... Listen to the unconscious and what Carl Jung in Jungian psychology articulated as you have the conscious mind, the pre-conscious, you know, that's that space that we drop into right before we're going to sleep at night, known as the hypnagogic state and guided imagery. And then when we're dreaming, we drop into our personal unconscious. And then Carl Jung articulated another unconscious, which was the collective unconscious. And so, for example, it was very common for Aborigines in the far outback of Australia to dream about crucifixes as people simultaneously in Europe who were Christian were dreaming about crucifixes. So then Carl Jung also articulated, I wonder if that is the core domain that Mozart, Beethoven listen to in order to download, and I articulate in the book the three uh, avenues for uh, experiencing court creativity. You know one is what I call the download, and that's what Carl Jung was talking about, mm. that it comes in from cosmos or a creative other, or the holy, or the numinous other. Then there's the upload that comes in from Gaia, Mother Earth. Um, The Taoists talk about, if you want to feel creative, take your shoes off and walk around out in nature, and the Earth will start to give you ideas and images. And then, I coined the term the inload. And the inload comes from intuition. and comes from the heart center, and being a long-time student of both mindfulness and um, yoga, and yoga therapies, the inload is when you start to slow down through any form of meditation, it could be tai chi, yoga, qigong, it could be transcendental meditation, Christian contemplative meditation, you start to slow down and you start building the muscle of intuition. And the muscle of intuition is the heart center. It's the heart chakra. It's where we start to feel and we start to uh, absorb uh, sensory experience and we feel colors and we feel the music. And that's the inload. And so, core creativity is I want to teach people how to access those three portals the download, the upload, and the inload so that they have direct access to creating something that's fresh, creating something that's new, creating something that's original. And so one of the uh, wonderful distinctions about core creativity is teaching people to get in touch with their core and to listen to their core. For example, uh, Paul McCartney, and I write about this in the book, his masterpiece, he dreamt it. And he got up and he wrote it down and then went back to sleep. And he wakes up in the morning and at first thought is, oh my God, I think I dreamt my masterpiece last night. Um, but I think it was in a dream. And then his girlfriend at the time uh, in their flat in London says, yeah, but I, I think you got up and you wrote it down and <laughs> it into a tape recorder. And so he plays it out and he thought it was so. Extraordinary and original, that he got the melody, he got the lyrics, um, all in a dream state. And then years later, um, I was in on the tail end of U2's tour in uh, Dublin, the Zeropa tour uh, of Europe. And I was invited um, to um, participate in their last three concerts. Uh, through um, the wife of the lead guitarist. And so one thing led to another, and I ended up just um, in the pub uh, with them around 2.30 in the morning. And um, the lead singer, I mean, the um, lead guitarist was telling me that he experiences that when they finished the Joshua Tree record, that they felt like they were kind of closing a chapter in that uh, style of music for themselves as a band. And they got together and they met up in London and they said, I think we really need to, and again, this is absorbing mine that I talk about in the book, we need to really re-immerse ourselves in something new and different. And so they left Dublin and they went to live uh, somewhere between three and five months in Berlin. Because Berlin, you know, is dark and foggy and gritty, oh. underground music clubs and museums. Are you talking
0: about the Beatles still? No, the uh, U2. U2. Okay, great.
1: Yeah. And and so U2, they, while he was in uh, Berlin, the Edge started listening to the new music. It just started coming in when he was meditating, when he was driving, when he was dreaming. And so we were having... Uh, Guinnesses, and he said, what do you think that is? And I said, that's open mind, and that's why I wrote my first book, Wise Mind, Open Mind. I said, you've tapped in to what Carl Jung calls the collective, the collective unconscious. It's not your personal unconscious. You've tapped into where all the musicians, like Beethoven, Mozart, um, Stravinsky, have been able to hear it. Michael uh, Michelangelo saying that the images started to flood into him. Yeah. He, he oftentimes thought there was so much flow that he was going to burst open. And so core creativity is being able to tap into that core.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a wonderful summation of the uh, of the core of the book and <laughs> the core of of your philosophy and approach. So I think people will be interested to know that there are a variety of exercises in the book yes. that are designed to help people have some experience of some of the things that you're talking about. And um, how can people find out about your workshops? Um, my website is corecreativity.com
1: and ronaldalexander.com. And... um They can sign up for my newsletter, and I send out um, announcements. And they're also listed uh, on the website. And if they want to get a copy of the book, it's both in Kindle and in hardcover. They can go to Amazon.com, Baden's and uh, Noble.com, and any bookseller. Yeah.
0: Well, it's delightful to hang out with you here and to... uh, experience your maturity and wisdom, really, you're in this phase of uh, being able to give back everything that you've absorbed so far over your life. And of course, the process continues. So uh, longtime friend, former student, now teacher, Ron <laughs> Alexander, I want to thank you for being my guest today on Shrinkwrap Radio.
1: Oh, it's a delight, David. Wonderful to reconnect.
0: It was wonderful reconnecting with my old friend and previous guest, Dr. Ronald Alexander. Due to the impact of COVID social distancing on my own life, and his very busy schedule, it had been some years since we had seen one another. In fact, we've known each other for 50 years or more. When we first met, I was a junior faculty member in the psychology department at Sonoma State University. i had been drawn there by the school's reputation for having a master's program in humanistic psychology along with unparalleled freedom for faculty to teach their courses in whatever ways they wished. The institution was still quite young when I arrived. Because of our MA program in humanistic psychology in the early 1970s, we were a magnet for applicants from all over the country, even the world. We had to sift through hundreds of applications from eager, ambitious students who were convinced this was the place for them. Ron was one of these and was already a mover and shaker, having excelled as an undergraduate and already achieved recognition as a rising star with a web of influential connections. Not your average MA student by any means. At the same time, he was dressed in white and wore a turban, having risen in the kundalini yoga organization of Yogi Bhajan. Kundalini yoga was on fire at that time, growing rapidly. Later, Yogi Bhajan fell into disrepute. Fortunately, Ron shed his guru garb and dealt with his own disillusionment, bailing from the organization before it all started to crumble. Since I was already interested in yoga, and altered states of consciousness, humanistic and transpersonal psychology, and the human potential movement, there was a lot for Ron and I to bond over. Plus, we just meshed at a personal friendship level. I don't know all the details of Ron's journey, but I believe after leaving Sonoma State, he was able to create a position for himself at San Francisco State University, Moving on from there, he began teaching at Santa Monica College and UCLA, I believe. And he also went through a personal psychoanalysis from which he gained greatly. As the years passed, we would get together from time to time when he was back in the Bay Area. One notable occasion for sustaining our friendship was that we both enrolled in a week-long hypnosis training led by Bandler and Grinder, the co-founders of NLP, or Neuro Linguistic Programming, which was becoming all the rage at that time. Years go by, and Ron is very big as a workshop leader on the personal growth circuit, with the Esalen Institute on the Big Sur Coast having set the model. Around the time I was getting ready to retire, I suggested to Ron that I'd like to hang out with him and assist in his workshops. We ended up working together at Esalen, as well as other venues in Hawaii, Ireland, Mallorca, Italy, and Switzerland, and maybe more, I don't recall. At some of these workshops, I led Tai Chi and did some tarot readings. The workshops typically were structured around a gestalt group therapy model which both Ron and I had some training in. Having the opportunity to work with Ron at close quarters in these settings really deepened my appreciation for his skill and therapeutic wisdom. Where I had once been his teacher, I was finding myself in more of the student, more as a student. In our recent podcast interview, my appreciation for his growth as a teacher and leader, grew even more. His new book, Core Creativity, The Mindful Way to Unlock Your Creative Self, is a wonderful distillation and synthesis of all the rich inputs in his remarkable life. The idea of a core source of creativity springs from his immersion in Jungian psychology and the concept of the collective unconscious, as well as many years of meditation practice and acquaintance with spiritual and shamanic traditions. Beyond this, Ron is particularly qualified to write a book on creativity, given not only his own creative life, but his years of conducting therapy with clients who are actors, musicians, screenwriters, and so on in his Hollywood clientele. Add to that his very successful coaching practice with a variety of Hollywood moguls and organizations such as Disney and more. In our conversation and in his book, I'm really amazed by his memory and his ability to pull examples from an incredibly wide range of experiences. I strongly recommend Core Creativity, The Mindful Way to Unlock Your Creative Self by Ronald A. Alexander to any of you out there who wish to bring more creativity into your own approach to living. Hi, Dr. Dave. It's
1: Faye calling from London, UK. Um, Thanks so much for doing the work that you're doing. More than happy to throw $5 your way. Absolutely worth it. And I know I won't miss it. Um, Keep up the good work. Thanks so much. All right. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you, Faye in London, for your support and encouragement. And of course, thank you to all you other monthly supporters. It feels so good to see your names as I scroll through the list of monthly donors preparing for each podcast. I would like to hear from more of you listeners. I assume you know that I produce a monthly newsletter and... At the end of each one, I like to highlight comments about a recent interview. However, I've not been getting any comments lately. If you hear something that touches you, please take time to go to that interview on shrinkwrapradio.com, and you'll see an area right below that interview where you can post your comments. And if you're not getting the newsletter, then you should scroll further down that page, that homepage at shrinkwrapradio.com, and you'll see a place to sign up for the newsletter. Would really appreciate you being on our list. Once again, time to shrink wrap it up. Thank you, longtime friend, workshop leader, therapist, and coach, Dr. Ron Alexander, on the occasion of your latest book, Core Creativity, The Mindful Way to Unlock Your Creative Self. It was great connecting with you again and having a conversation about this very important book on bringing more creativity into our lives. Next week, there will be no new guests because I've got family visiting from back east, and so I'm going to give myself a little vacation to spend time with them and... um, there'll be no new episode. However, if you're hungry for one, I'll bet you can find a good one if you search the 811 other ones at shrinkwrapradio.com. Until next time, this is Dr. Dave reminding you to be kind to yourselves, others, and our precious earth. You've been shrink-wrapped by Dr. Dave. All the psychology you need to know and just enough to make you dangerous.